Hello and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism, a podcast asking the question, what does it mean to be fully alive in the 21st century? I'm your host, Brett Kane. I'm a massage therapist and mindfulness meditation instructor, and if you've been paying attention, we've been on hiatus, so welcome back. Uh, this is the new and improved season two, if you will. I don't really know how I'm categorizing these release chunks, but we are certainly back. Uh, with a new schedule. We're going to be doing bi-weekly now. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in my life, so maybe I should take some time to fill you in on where I'm at, what's going on, why did we take a hiatus, why are we back, why bi-weekly. So if you know me, then you know that this is this show is purely me. I'm doing all the editing, I'm doing the release schedule, and finding all the guests. Uh, and it's, it's a lot of work and I love doing it. I want to be able to provide to you the best possible entertainment, uh, and information that I can possibly do given my scope of practice and, uh, my energy. But right now, this summer, I am actually looking for a house. I'm looking to buy a house. So this is a pretty monumental energy suck. So I am properly investing my energy into that for right now. Uh, I also am really taking off with my massage practice business, so that's taking up a lot of my time. But as I'm balancing all the different things in my life, this show is still an important aspect of that, and I want to make sure that I still enjoy it and I don't feel trapped by it. And I think I'm starting to feel a little bit of the pressure of doing a weekly release. Um, right now I have so many invites out to so many amazing guests, and I'm hearing back from some, but not hearing back from a lot. So... I just think it's going to be more comfortable that I don't feed into this productivity virus that has swept through content creation. Uh, a lot of people, you know, they, and it is a part of the successful model for it, but to be honest, I would much rather be enjoying it and have sustainability rather than pushing myself to this limit that makes me feel like I'm trapped in it. So for me, the biweekly thing right now makes the best sense, um, at least until I get into a new house and I've uh, kind of stabilized a little bit in terms of my external world. I do have plans to go back to the weekly schedule as things go on. I, I imagine probably the fall when it starts to get a little bit cooler out. I'm also just really wanting to enjoy the summer and uh, the six hours it takes every week to pump these episodes out uh, takes that away from me. So yeah, maybe it's selfish, maybe it's not smart in the long run, but that's what I'm doing, and uh, for those of you who are still plugged in, thanks, let's uh, enjoy this ride together, um, but we just had a hiatus, and I wanted to talk about what I was doing during that time. Not only was I starting the house buying process and expanding my massage business, but I was also building a fancy new website for you guys to get plugged into. Uh, it's 21stCenturyVitalism.com. Uh, I went through the wonderful folks over at Squarespace, and it is a fresh situation. So I encourage you to go check it out. Uh, go through some of the pages. Uh, this is going to be the new home for the show. Uh, I also started a Patreon, so for those of you who want to support the show, um, there is definitely a bottom line of uh, money that I have to make to balance out the expenditures, so um, I have to pay for my recording software, which is one of the best in the uh, industry, I guess, best on the market. I have to pay for my podcast hosting service, my domain name, uh, Actually, I think that's about it, but also my time, you know, so uh, if you want to get involved, this is an early Patreon thing, so right now, um, I don't have any 
hard rewards. Right now, it's purely for the support and getting this off the ground, helping me make that bottom line. But like I said, as we move into the fall and I have a little bit more stability, I'm going to be offering you guys bonus episodes. Uh, you're going to get ad-free episodes because ads are going to be a thing. You know, it's just a part of the game. Uh, you're going to get stuff a day early. We're going to be doing practices together. Uh, so I do have like a, a roadmap for what that's all going to look like. But right now it's for the the people who really enjoy the conversation that I'm curating here and want to make sure that it will last a long time. So I would appreciate it if you went through. I mean, I, I'm having it, I think it's like a dollar or five dollars. So for the price of two cups of coffee, I mean, what you're getting is two to three hours of content, you know? So um, yeah, it, uh, I think it's pretty balanced. I think it, I'm not going to ask you guys for too much at this current stage, but it would be nice to start drumming up some uh, energetic reciprocity. So that's what I've been doing. We're also, if you're uh, watching this on YouTube, you're about to see a fancy new video element. So for those of you who want to look at my face, look at my guest's face, we will be doing video from here on out. Um, might take a couple episodes for me to really nail down the, the editing process. You know, that's a new thing for me. So, but that is, uh, that's the, the new digs, if you will, um, yeah, this has been a great uh, transition into summer. This is another reason why I wanted to take to hiatus because I know the energetic uh, dynamic of everything speeding up. Um, that's really what's been happening in my sphere. You know, now everything's popping off. It's hot. It's actually hot out. So everybody wants to go do things and everything's just moving quick. So I would encourage you in this transition into summer to find some time to yourself to really breathe, slow down and really enjoy it, you know? Um, do all the things that you'd want to do, but just make sure that you're uh, finding a sense of grounded presence within this uh, really fast season. Uh, there's a lot of stillness that can be found within the, the summer months, and I think it's it's just better to enjoy things more fully. Uh, so that's, that's pretty much it. That's the hiatus. That's the direction, um, everything we got going on. Um, I want to talk about today's guest because I got a good one for you. Uh, my new friend Angie Cho uh, is a creator of holistic spaces, specifically focused on designing interiors and teaching feng shui and meditation. She is the author of Holistic Spaces, 108 Ways to Create a Mindful and Peaceful Home. And since 1999, she's been designing beautiful and nourishing spaces, inner and outer, with balance and harmony, informed by the ancient practice of feng shui and meditation. Her focus is to create nurturing and supportive environments, tailoring her practice to each individual's specific needs. So Angie's the owner of Angie Cho Architect, co-founder of the Mindful Design Feng Shui School, and founder of Holistic Spaces, which hosts a blog, podcast, and an online store. She's a teacher of the Dharma Arts and Meditation in the Shambhala Buddhist lineage, and for Dharma Moon, which if you listen to the David Nickturn episode or the Neil Taylor episode, we all connected. She's a feng shui expert at The Spruce, a regular blog contributor to Mind Body Green, and has been featured in dozens of publications, including the New York Times, Domino Magazine, and BuzzFeed. Uh, Angie is a New York State registered architect, graduate of architecture from the College of Environmental Design at the University of California at Berkeley, LEED accredited professional, and certified feng shui consultant from the BTB Feng Shui Master's Training Program. She's trained as a meditation teacher and in shamanic healing modalities. AKA, what I'm trying to say is Angie is awesome. And this episode was so much fun, and this has been something I've been interested in a long time, and I tell her right off the bat, I have no idea 
about anything about feng shui. So this is a really cool, uh, explain it to me like I'm five kind of conversation where we cover a lot of the basics, some of the basic principles about the elements, what a feng shui expert does, things that you can do to bring these principles into your own life. Uh, this is a really accessible conversation, and uh, I think it's great. So welcome back to the show, everybody. Um, we're starting it off with a blast, so I hope you have been well. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to support the show, new Patreon over at the website, 21stCenturyVitalism.com. You can give us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, subscribe on YouTube. Whatever you want to do to get involved, there's many avenues now. So all the interaction seriously, seriously helps. So thank you so much for uh, tuning back in and uh, enjoying this relaunch with me. I appreciate you very much. Um, yeah, so do some stretches, drink some tea, open your heart for the wonderful Angie Cho. Oh, now we're recording. Angie Cho, hello and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism. How are you today? Hi, Brett. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we just, I for the listeners, I am using a new platform. And I guess for you too, this is the first time I've used this. So I gave us the countdown and then it wanted its own countdown. So that's starting things off well. Um, yeah, so I wanted to take some time to talk to you. I met you through the Dharma Moon platform, uh, our mutual teacher, David Nickturn. Um, you know, I learned meditation. You were one of the assistant um, directors, I think would be the term. Yes, I'm an assistant director. Yeah. So, and I knew that you were doing the feng shui and that's like kind of your main wheelhouse. And this is something I think from my experience is one of those things, kind of like the word karma that maybe gets used inappropriately a lot. A lot of people are like, yeah, I really feel the feng shui in this room. And like, they have no idea what they're talking about. And I know that this is a really deep and beautiful practice. So I really wanted to pick your brain on this. So I guess to start us off, what is feng shui? <laughs> By the way, I love that. I've never even thought about that, but you're so right. It's totally misused all the time. And especially because I'm a feng shui expert, people always say, oh, that's so feng shui to me. And I'm like, I have to like withhold the rolling of the eyes, you know, because I know they mean well, but it's definitely like just like karma thrown around a lot where you don't really understand what it means. So great question to start with. So what is feng shui? So I have my own definition of feng shui, which is mindfulness of spaces. It's about paying attention to the details of your environment and to begin to see that we are interconnected and interdependent with the spaces around us. Um, more of the like dictionary definition would be that it's a philosophy that originated in ancient China and um, it's, it has roots in Taoism, Buddhism, and Chinese folklore. And it was a, it's a formalized system in which to look at your environment to improve the flow of qi. And qi is life force energy. Mm. Yeah, I'm familiar with some of the work with qigong and tai chi. Um, so would you like, did it all kind of like co-arise in all of these different traditions or was there kind of like one spearhead, like 
the Taoists were really like onto it and then the Buddhists got inspired by it? Or was it kind of like different people were coming to the similar conclusions and it all arose together? You know, I'm not a super expert on the history of feng shui, so I don't know the specifics, but what I can tell you is that, yes, for instance, um, many different cultures have different forms of geomancy looking at their environment to see how to position themselves to their advantage. So, you know, it made sense to position your home so that it would receive the most sunlight. So in the northern hemisphere, that would be south-facing because if you're, for instance, your crops didn't get enough sun, you um, your life would be less prosperous. And we can even see that like with the tree. If you look at a tree in the northern hemisphere, the south side of a tree will generally be more abundant because it's naturally getting more sun. And of course, there's many other things that it depends upon, like how many trees are around it, what's in, what's, what's in its environment. But um, so I think many different cultures have developed different ways of looking at their own homes and their own built environment to live in harmony with nature, which is another way to look at feng shui. Um, and then what was the first part of the question that you asked? I was kind of essentially if, each culture kind of got inspired from the other culture um, and like what one arose oh, first. I remember what I was going to say. So I'm not sure what arose first, but the interesting thing was I recently learned from one of my friends, uh, Tamsin Lee. She's a um, doctor of acupuncture in Chinese medicine and she does face reading. She was saying that actually when you learn about when you learn Chinese medicine in school, you're taught that um, in the classical original texts that feng shui, astrology, Chinese medicine, acupuncture, those are all they all work together. But they actually recommend that you first do things like astrology or feng shui before you take herbs or before you do anything invasive to your body, because exactly that it's not invasive and you're working in with more of the subtle energies around you so she was saying that since um now you know tcm has become more modernized they've actually excluded things like feng shui and astrology and divination and the more esoteric parts and they've extracted that from traditional chinese tcm and kind of like distilled it down to what it is now as it's taught in the West um, and maybe also in the East. But it was interesting to me. I never knew that. So when I studied feng shui, we learned, you know, we learned astrology and divination and feng shui and, and it all works with qi, just like it's the same qi and qigong. We learned qi, we actually learned qigong too in architecture uh, or not architecture in, um, when I studied feng shui, we learned all of these different modalities as being interconnected with feng shui. Mm. That's really, it's an interesting idea that the level of interdependence between the internal experience of being a human and the, and the external. Could you just talk a little bit about how some of these principles may actually affect, like, is it kind of like a mirroring process or is it like drawing energies from the environment or like what, what's that relationship between 
perceiving an external situation and how that affects you internally? I think it's a yes and situation rather than this or that. So one example I like to give is um, we could do this exercise together. So like close your eyes and just visualize yourself in, let's say, okay, on the beach. You're in Costa Rica, you're laying on the beach, you're laying on the sand. It's really hot. You can see the sun above you. You could hear the waves of the ocean. And you can just notice how that makes you feel. And now we can step on a magic red carpet and fly over to, let's fly to New York City. And let's find ourselves on top of the Empire State Building. Mm -hmm. Super windy. You could hear the buzzing of all the people and the cars below you. It's very metallic. You see all the, the high rises around you and you could just notice how that makes you feel. Yeah, it's a bit chilly up here. Yeah, so you can open your eyes. So you can see that your environment, it's both. It's maybe what you bring to it, um, what you receive from it, how you interact with it, but also um, it it's the energetics of it as well. So it's a yes and situation. I love that. At, at what point in your life did you kind of realize that there was something something here that really inspired you to want to pursue this as like your life um, goal? Thanks for asking that because um, I don't get to talk about it a lot. So um, let's see. Well, in my late 20s, I was in my Saturn return, I, if, uh, which is if you know astrology, it's like your late 20s and you kind of revisit where you are in life. It's kind of like your first midlife crisis in a way. And I was working in architecture, living in New York City, but I was really unhappy and very depressed. And I just remember like, just always wondering like, you know, is this what life is about? Like getting up in the morning, hating my job, just watching the clock, hoping to leave. And I don't know, I just was really, really unhappy. And so I went on a trip to Thailand and I had a Reiki session and I never even heard of Reiki, but I just happened to get this Reiki session. And I had a huge epiphany. I realized that I needed to change my entire life and I needed to incorporate more spirituality. So I came back to New York and I started to study meditation, go to yoga. And naturally I realized, you know, how does this start to integrate with what I do for a living where I spend all of my time, which is at work. And so I started studying feng shui and then I was so delighted to see that it was much more than car that karma and feng shui were much more than what I thought they were. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and, and then I actually had a big, another big turning point during the last recession. Um, I got laid off and I couldn't find a job. So this was 2009. Mm. And so I realized that, uh, I was like, oh, I've always wanted to take this 
three-year feng shui certification program, but I, I never, I always had every excuse in the book. I can't afford it. I don't have time. What am I going to do with this? Whatever. So I finally didn't really have an excuse. And, I, and for the first time, I um, did something that I wanted to do for me. And I'm getting emotional about it, but um, oh, I love it. I did something that I wanted to do for me. And after that, like all of the stars aligned with everything that I did. Like I started getting like I got my architect's license that same month. I started having jobs fall into my lap. I had mentors for the first time. And and I really like just dove into really embracing feng shui and my whole life shifted. Like I never thought I would write a book. I never thought I would have a book published. I never thought I would like be teaching any of this stuff I had no I never thought I'd be my own my own business or three businesses so my whole life changed and I just realized that I had never opened my eyes to see what was right in front of me until like I started to to pursue something that I loved that I wanted to do that is such a beautiful story. And I also have to add that it's a book that's highly rated wherever I, I was looking into it. I'm like, oh, dang, this has got some clout. There's a lot of people really enjoying that work. Oh, thank you. Um, so what was this three years of feng shui uh, training about? Like, how did that, was it like an intensive where you went somewhere? Or is it kind of like every other weekend? Or what? Is, what is the process of kind of getting, uh, I guess, accredited? Uh, I don't know if that's the right word but training. Yeah. So I studied at, in a three year certification program at the open center here in New York city, studying BTB feng shui. And actually now, um, so that, uh, program has dissolved and those teachers, my teachers have given me and my business partner, Laura, the blessing to continue the teaching. So we started our own school. So now we're teaching, but our program is a six month certification program. That's more intensive. So when we did meet, it was, um, we met four times a year for basically like four long weekends and and then had unlimited mentorship. So it was actually the first time I've had like a mentor in my life. Like one of my mentors, Rosalie, she, she officiated my wedding. Wow. Yeah. So they truly became mentors for me and still are. Um, but it was also like going to Hogwarts. I was like, wow, like I never knew. Cause you're like, oh, I'm just going to learn how to move furniture around. But it was a completely transformative life experience. Wow. So I'm kind of curious as you get certified in something like this and start to learn the subtle energetics of spaces, does it bother you to go into certain public places now? Like, are you able to like pick up and like, Ooh, like, I don't know if I like that. <laughs> Almost feel like it's a double-edged sword, right? Yeah. Well, actually, so I I am not that sensitive. Well, actually, okay. Let me let me re- back, go rewind that. So, um, I only in the last couple of years have I become more sensitive to spaces. I think having been in the pandemic and have this having had the um opportunity to strictly um stop being around people i think it's more that i'm more sensitive to people's energy but having that abrupt break you know especially living in new york city um created a a drastic difference where i could see and also i had been doing more of my own 
personal work, but um, but in general, most feng shui consultants, I don't think necessarily, um, it's not something that you, you, it's something that you can turn off. So like basically mm -hmm. like, you know, some, a lot of what happens to me is people say, oh, well, what do you think about the feng shui of the space? And so it's like, well, actually, you know, I don't have that hat on right now. So um, I'm not going to tune into that. It's kind of like, you know, if you went to go see so, like someone in there, they're like, can you give me an evaluation? But you have to put on a hat and kind of think about it. So, so that said, um, if there is a space that feels really weird, yeah, I will be able to tell, especially if I'm staying there. So the longer that you're there, um, and this goes for everyone, like the longer you live in your home, the more the feng shui affects you. So, so yeah, over time, um, places can affect you and like, um, it really depends if you're just like passing through, you're not there that much. So I might, may not be affected by it, but like if something feels really, has like really interesting or, you know, difficult energy and I'm forced to be in that space then I will like be sensitive to it. So do you think that people kind of have a natural disposition to detect these subtle energies, whether or not they like realize it as certain people are like structuring their home and putting things together? Do you think that there is kind of like a guiding hand of some of these things? Or is this something that you specifically have to develop and cultivate within yourself? Or do you find the opposite? Mm. So this is also a yes and situation. There are some things <laughs> that are really very common sense. And I think that some people maybe are more attuned to it. And then there is a learned level as well, where um, a lot of my students are surprised that, you know, we just, we actually just train them. And then there's really, after you study, you can, you could pick up on it. But there's some basics that all people generally can be attuned to. Um, and like one simple way of looking at it is like, you know, like, so you, Brett, you were telling me you were looking for uh, new housing, right? So most people, like when they're looking for a new home, can walk into a space and know immediately within a few seconds, like, yes or no. Mm -hmm. You know, either like it's, you know, you'll, there's definitely going to be a time where you're like, no, right? You're just like, no, this is not the place. Yeah. Yep. And it doesn't have, there doesn't have to be a, logical reason for it although there might be and so there's that level of it and there's even um something another thing that's very common sense that a lot of people are already attuned to is one of the main principles of feng shui called the commanding position so um maybe you've been like this but uh so, so either you're like this or most people know someone like this but like, say you go, you know, back when we used to be able to go to restaurants. <laughs> so, I don't right? remember what that's like. <laughs> so um, if you went to a restaurant, you, you or maybe one of your friends, you may have had a friend that insisted that they never sit with their back towards the door. Mm. So does that yeah. resonate with yeah. you? Are you like yeah. that? Uh, I'm not, but I have friends that they've like moved me out. Like they've came in after I've sat down and they're like, Hey, I got to sit there. And I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, I didn't have a preference, but yeah, sure. Yeah. So they want to sit with, um, they want to sit. There's some people are very tuned to it. They always need to sit in the commanding position, but in general in feng shui, that's the mo one of the more ideal positions in the room. So basically, I, I also call it like the where would the mafia boss sit? So, 
You want to sit um, the best, the most commanding position is all the way in the back, diagonal from the door, but with your back against the wall. So your so your back is it is not exposed. The back of your neck is not exposed. You can see the whole room, and you can see the door, but you're not right in line with the door, mm-hmm. because that puts you in control of the whole room. So if like in a like even if you think about like back when people went to offices, like if you were in the cubicle, the worst spot to be in would be like with your back facing the aisle where people could creep up tap you on the shoulder, scare the hell out of you, or like watch what you're doing on the computer, right? Yeah, yeah. So the idea is that you want to position yourself in a situation so that you have, you can see the whole room, you're safe, you're protected, you're, the back of your neck is not exposed because your um, limbic brain, so on a, like a physiological level, um, your limbic brain goes into a fight or flight mode because it can't see the door. So it can't see if danger is coming to, to you. And that's the part of your mind that's still part, that's still, um, connected to your old, your old mind. So it's just fight or flight. So then you have this activated level of, um, stress and that affects everything from your cooking. Like if you're not in the commanding position while you're cooking, you're putting a subtle level of fear into the food that you're cooking and the energetics of your food. Or when you're working at your desk, you're not going to be able to perform or focus that well because part of your brain is functions is allocated to protecting yourself because you can't see the door and so on. But on a symbolic and metaphorical level, it means that you can't see the opportunities that are coming to you. You can't, you're, you're in a position where you're allowing yourself to just be surprised by life rather than seeing what's clearly in front of you. So, so that's an, an example of how a lot of people can see that, that common sense. And it's not something that you have to learn. And it's something that we, that it's all connected to how we are as humans. And a lot of people are aware of it. Wow, I love that. And it's getting me to think about a lot of experiences I've had in public spaces and the way I've structured certain rooms in my life. And I'm, I'm just kind of wondering for the folks who don't really have a preference to being in that commanding position, it, are they, could they get benefit by starting to like take that spot rather than just like letting the people who feel the need to have it? Like, is there benefit to be had? Like the, you said kind of this symbolically, well, um, that's a good question. So not everyone can be in command, right? So, you know, in, and in Dharma Moon, I think David touched upon this, our teacher, David Nickturn, and this is um, a Taoist principle, heaven and earth. So, and heaven, earth, and humanity. So there's natural hierarchies in the world. And so not everyone can be in the commanding position. Not everyone can be in the heaven seat. However, um, there are more appropriate times where you don't you don't you don't always have to be the one in command like say you're in a classroom setting the teacher or the speaker ideally is in the commanding position while the students are trusting the teacher and allowing the teacher to take the that seat of the command in command but if you have situations in your life where maybe you feel like the dynamic can be more balanced or you would like to try a different dynamic, you could 
try to switch that that relationship where um, maybe like you're always, you know, just like someone's always sitting at the head of the table or something. Maybe if mm. maybe it would be more beneficial to see more balance if that's sometimes switched when appropriate. Yeah, it's always funny whenever I go home to my parents for like any sort of family thing, like I'll sit in my dad's spot and like just watching like the the just rolling discomfort, you know, and he'll like kind of like, like he doesn't let me stay there. Like he will actively be like, hey, that's my spot. <laughs> it's like just like experimenting with that small social dynamic is it's always a lot of fun for me. <laughs> that's so funny. I'm kind of wondering for folks who are wanting to implement some of these things into their home who, you know, like me, maybe in a couple of months will have just bought their home. What are some of the basic principles that we can use to bring feng shui into our lives? Um, I mean, I know like bringing in a specialist is probably the best way to do it, but what are some like easy, simple things that people could do to help increase the energy of their space? Um, okay. So let me think for our new homes. Well, First of all, um, you know how we talked about earlier um, how a home you okay you know erase that part. So basically, yeah. um, make sure you have a home that is, uh, of course, is accommodating for you, has enough space for you, and um, even if a home has quote unquote bad feng shui. I've been taught in the way that I teach is that sometimes we're attracted to homes that may have challenging feng shui because it's because it's going to exacerbate a problem that we need to work on and it means that we're ready to work on it. So there's it's appropriate for you and just trust that you ended up there for whatever reason. Um, so I think the key is to always just find a home that you feel comfortable with and trust your own intuition on that. Like, Trust that feeling and that that first thought, best thought when you find your place. And um, because I, it's, I think it's so interesting that most people at least, I guess, I don't know if it's everywhere or just in the U.S., but you can, you literally spend like five minutes in a home and then you spend like your whole life savings on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so weird. It's so weird, right? And, um, and some very basic things that you can do that would be easy to explain on a podcast would be to um, ah, to have gratitude for your home, whether it's one that you've lived in for a while or a new one, but recognize that that even your home is alive. So the feng shui that I practice is uh, there's different there's tons of different schools of feng shui, just like with everything, right? Different there's different tons of different chocolate chip cookie recipes. So um, the feng shui that I practice has uh, more of a foundation in shaman, um, it's more of a shamanic tradition. So we look at everything as alive. So I like to look at the home as a living being as well and that your home also has a house spirit. So when you move in or even if you've lived there for a while, maybe you should greet your house spirit and 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 take take some time and listen to your home so is your does your house spirit feel like strong or does it need support or are there more a lot of them or you know 
and just kind of get a feel for the personality of the home. And then you can even name your home if you want. And then mm -hmm. to give attention, when you give attention to your home, your home will be able to support you back. You know, the energy that you offer to your home. So you can also offer um, blessings to your home and you can thank your home and give gratitude for your home because we, um, our homes do so much for us. Like I told you, you know, before we started recording that I'm renovating my home. And so I'm finding just how grateful I am for the stability that my home has always brought me. And so not now to not have that, it's, you know, it's pretty, it's, I noticed the difference. And so having yeah. gratitude for your home and even talking to your home and saying, thank you and taking the time to take care of it and, and draw and bring attention to it so that's really important and then you can also offer blessings like um for instance you can um do a house blessing using like like you could chant your favorite mantra around the home you can go clockwise start at the door and go clockwise and offer it as a blessing like in btb feng shui we use the mantra om mani padme hum hmm. And we chant that around the, we circumambulate the home and create blessings for the home. And you can also offer, give offerings like incense or, um, you know, and also do space clearings too. When you, you could use different space clearing techniques, those are easy to find online, like Palo Santo or Sage, and then do that with an intention and in a rich, with a ritual to invite in um to announce your presence and say like hi my name is brett nice to meet you thank you so much for being my home and you can offer and offer these blessings and then again like the space clearing is a great way also to set a new intention for the space and and to allow any energies from the previous owners to to go on their way and so that it make create space for you and your new intentions for this space. Wow. I love this. And it, it's honestly feeling really interesting for me. There's like a little bit of a, I don't know if this could be considered tendril, but because I have been doing so much research, having this conversation with you is just like, oh, like I needed to have this conversation as I start this journey and how I structure my relationship to the prospect of finding a new space. Um, Sorry, I don't know if you can hear my dryer. It makes a little jingle whenever it finishes, and it's really long. So sorry about <laughs> it's that. A, I couldn't really hear it. I heard a little something, okay. but yeah, it's it's really long. It's like a minute. It's really ridiculous. But <laughs> something that I'm noticing. So I'm in this space right now. I'm living with a friend, and it, it's it's like a good space. I have this essentially a studio apartment in her downstairs, and I actually just had this experience uh, a couple nights ago. So the floors are really creaky. Uh, like really creaky. You may have heard them during this conversation. And as I was like laying in bed hearing just, I like stopped associating it with a specific like, yo, that's my roommate who's walking. And I like felt into the house and it almost felt like the house was communicating kind of like, like it is an old house. I don't know if it was like communicating an ache or like a, a tension of some kind that was just like, it's like, there's something here that it just didn't feel like happy. I don't know. Like it, yeah. it just had a vibe to it. So I'm kind of wondering, are there 
bad spirits. I don't think that that's what's going on with this house, but when we're talking about the quality of the spirits that are invoked or present, mm -hmm. are there bad spirits? Well, I don't like to uh, count, um, define things as good or bad, but maybe there's mm -hmm. beneficial spirits because any kind of spirit or entity may, you know, an entity may have been a, a you know, another living being. Um, and also, um, if it's an elemental, it's, it's kind of neutral, but I, I'm, I'm sure there's, there's entities that are mischievous that want to make problems or that are unhappy and create havoc. Um, and I think usually you would know, but it sounds like maybe like if I think of creaking, that sounds like more sad, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, or like yeah. you said, achy, um, and it actually reminds me of like something I saw on Instagram the other day. One of my, my friends wrote or shared something that said like storms are a good reminder that even nature needs to scream sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's great. So like we wouldn't say like a storm is bad, right? Or, or um, I guess someone might think a storm is bad or an earthquake is bad because it creates havoc. Um, so, so, you know, I don't think there's necessarily good or bad, but there may be something that's not helpful for you. Um, but it doesn't sound like it's causing you any danger, but then maybe it does give you an overall sense that there's some sadness in the home. And, yeah. um, and that's, that's um, something that can also be seen in the home. Like sometimes I work with people and they, you know, you can tell when some people have like, uh, people are very there's some people that are very like exuberant and joyful and then there's some people that are really sad and depressed and so there are things that you could do in the feng shui of the home to lift the mood a bit um but which i could tell you about but like it sounds just i mean the sense i got from what you described was a feeling of sadness what do you what do you think that was kind of the the feeling that i had i don't i wouldn't describe neither me nor my roommate as a inherently sad but i mean it, it was just it, that kind of like this brief thing that washed over me of just kind of like like maybe this house is just i mean this is an old house mm -hmm. i don't know who owned it before my roommate's been in it for six years and i don't know if something is just like hanging on or i don't even know mm -hmm. if that's exactly what it is but it it felt pretty profound in that moment it was like the house was talking a little bit through the sound like and i'm in a precarious spot that i don't think a lot of people have nobody's really like lived in this space that's been used for other things so i have oh. this unique perspective of hearing like i'm underneath the house you know so i hear the way everything sounds across the floor and just like how different points are responding to weight and you know i, I feel kind of maybe entrusted with i don't know it's just it was an interesting sensation yeah well you know um our homes are affected by the previous inhabitants so anyone who lived in the home before, um, so if they've lived there longer, they, and you, ha it sounds like you haven't lived there all that long because your roommates lived there six years. Um, but the owners of the home, if, I don't know if your friend, your friend owns a home, but like the she owners, does know, yeah. okay. So the owner of the home, the previous owners, but also any previous homes that were on the land that were destroyed, the land also holds that energy plus the original inhabitants of the land. 
um, all hold the energy. So there could be a lot, there could be some unhappy spirits there from even before the house was built. So that all gets programmed and the vibrations stay in the walls or even like if you, like your dad's chair, like it has his energy, right? So yeah. even if you brought his chair to your house, it would still embody, it would still hold his vibration. So, so same like the home also holds the vibration of the land and the area around it. So there, there's many places where that could be coming from. Wow, that's really interesting. So are we kind of imprinting our, I guess, essence onto our surroundings then? That's kind of the, the idea that I had when you said if my dad's chair was here, it would still very much be his chair in essence. Is it something that like by existing in a space, we're just imprinting like our mm -hmm. signature into it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But just as you can, because you could just like I visualize like the vibrations radiating out and like just always being... Um, radiating out into the space so if like uh, so sometimes I ask my friends like oh they're like oh I got this plant for my friend but now I'm experiencing this I'm like well what did that you know what what's the life of the friend that gave you that plant or what's the life of the friend that gave you that chair that you now sit in so like for instance if you inherited like a chair like that you used maybe for work or a desk that you um got a secondhand desk if that person that had that desk before you was really successful, you can start to really absorb some of that successful chi. Or if they had a lot of issues and were not successful, you simultaneously or similarly can receive like that kind of chi that you maybe don't undesirable chi from mm -hmm. from that object. So yeah, we do. We are always affecting it. Like every thought we put out whether it's negative or positive. So, you know, when we say something um, negative about someone or if we think a negative thought about someone, it does affect them. They receive that. They receive those, like, daggers of jealousy or whatever that we put out into the world. And But also, we can also clear, you know, just like how we can put, imprint the vibration, we can also clear it, like, with sound or with mantra which is sound or like with uh, a, with ritual or intention so you can also clear it out like secondhand objects of the previous inhabitants chi but sometimes it's strong and you can't it's harder to do but you can sometimes you can like clear objects that have energy of someone else wow. so are you saying that next time i go back home for thanksgiving i should spend a night just like clearing my dad's energy from his chair so that I can further the game of taking his chair over. Can oh I do this my gosh. I hope he doesn't. I don't this. know. I don't know because it sounds like his chi is pretty strong. Yeah. On that chair. Yeah. So it would take a minute. Yeah. I think it might take like, you might have to do this. Like you might have to take it away and go for a few weeks at it. And then mm -hmm. by that time okay. he, he, he will be really mad. Yeah, he'll feel it too, and then he'll have to seed. He'll be like, oh, okay, well, it is your chair now. Well, you know what you could do? Well, see, then you wouldn't have fun anymore. You could, yeah, like, that's it too. You yeah. could do something funny, like slip in, like, something that belongs to you between the cushions. Yeah, okay. And see if he notices, like, your little bit of energy there. Whoa. 
Oh, yeah, that's that mischievous energy coming through. I'm liking this. This is great. <laughs> so when we're talking about like the core principles, there's the, the kind of simple things that people can do. But what does a practitioner do when they go into a space? And like, how do you what are the tools at your disposal for you to help structure for the most optimal, I guess, flow of chi? Well, um, I could just like kind of describe like a typical way that I would do a consultation. And I think different consultants do things differently, but this is how I train my students. And also I, I, I do things in many different ways as well. But just like if I have to give a general overview, I would say, okay, Brett, so Brett, you want to, you, you've hired me for a feng shui consultation. So I would ask you for your birth information I would ask you three wishes you have for yourself. I would ask you for your floor plan. I would ask you to sign your floor plan. And that's basically all I do. Um, I also have an intake form that I don't really use. So, or I get, I, I say it's optional. So most, sometimes people fill it out. Sometimes people don't. And, and then I spend time with it. Um, if necessary, I do a divination. I usually don't. I usually just go on intuition now. But um, I, so I use a tool called the Bagua. And the Bagua is like a mandala. And it's a three by three grid. Or it's like eight areas around a circle. So I'll show you. Here's an example of a Bagua. Mm. This is a simplified version. So it's, it's eight areas around a center. So like a mandala. It's a mandala. And it can some, it's sometimes... Um, depicted as an octagon it could it's just easier to graphically show it as a three by three grid so this is something that i would lay on your home it has different um each area has a different association like for instance the most popular ones are the wealth area and the and the relationship area mm. but there's many nuances like for instance the wealth area is purple it's related to the color purple. It's related to yin wood. It's related to um, abundance. It's related to the eldest daughter. There's. It's related to wind. It's related to different. There's a lot of different layers to countless layers to each gua. So it's, They're called guas. Yeah. So it's bagua means eight areas. So okay. it's bagua eight areas around the center. So I would overlay this on your home and evaluate the areas of how these lay out in your home which can give me a lot of information and then i can see if there's any kind of design details that stand out like doors that hit or missing areas or lots of bathrooms in a certain area or what area do you work in or how have you positioned yourself and then i also simultaneously look at like are you in command how do I put you in command? And I look at the most important areas are your bed, which represents you, your stove, which represents your how you nourish yourself and your wealth, and your desk, which represents your career. I also look at your front door. So I look at all these different aspects. I also evaluate how you drew your floor plan. I evaluate um, how this how this overlays with your numerology and your astrology. And then I also see how this overlays with what you have conveyed to me in terms of your wishes. And so I evaluate all that. Then I have a, I usually now only do remote consultations. So on online, 
So then we would meet and then I would sit down with you actually for probably about the anywhere from a half hour to 45 minutes, sometimes an hour, where I actually just ask you and I kind of start to discern what I need to work with, what I need to do, um, what I need to point you towards and what you're actually asking for. Because people don't always ask for clear, they don't. They ask for something, but I don't know how to help them yet. So I start asking a lot of questions. I also, um, uh, BTB Feng Shui, which is the Feng Shui that I practice. Um, Does that stand for something? Yeah, it stands for Black Tantric Sect Buddhist Feng Shui. And I, the one that I practice has a, a large focus on meditation and um, transcendental adjustments. So kind of invisible adjustments so I might say okay Brett I'm going to teach you this like this technique I'm going to teach you give you some things first we call them personal chi adjustments so I'm going to give you some personal chi adjustments to use in tandem with what we're going to do and then after I go through all that then we'll do a site survey of your home and what I do is I I show you a screen do a screen share of your floor plan with the bagua overlaid and I talk to you about all the things that we want to work on and I go through start usually starting at the front door and go around and give you instructions to do a bunch of stuff in your home <laughs> <laughs> and then I usually so then I might tell you to put a crystal here or move your desk here or try doing this here or do this ritual here or this you have a closet over here and might that might represent hidden something and so I'll explain a lot about what I see. So I kind of read your floor plan and I give you things to do. And then I usually close with the space, a virtual space clearing. And, and usually I select that based on um, my intuition, like what is going to be the most helpful for you. So then, you know, sometimes I'll, you know, so I'll do some kind of virtual space clearing with you and um, rededicate your space. And that's, mm. that's the full shebang. Wow. So is this something that you can kind of like set it and forget it? Or do you give your clients kind of like practices that they're going to have to do to maintain this optimal chi flow in their space? Like what does that look like after you part ways? So it's somewhere in between. So like usually um, I will give you a lot of things to do that require some a, a, bit, a bit of effort on your part. Like I might have you do something for 27 days in your something or whatever. And then you'll, you might have to go get some, you know, tools to do something in your home. Um, so there's things that you have to do in your home and that may take some time. And, but then once that has been set generally for like kind of the mundane feng shui, at least for the feng shui I practice. Um, it will probably be set until things in your life transition that you want to want a refresher. Cause I do, sometimes I do refreshers for people, but it's like kind of like they're still work, you know, they don't really need to do much unless they move. Um, but there's also different schools of feng shui like flying star that, um, by the way, my school looks at all the schools as totally legitimate and accurate. So um, I, I give all my respect to all the other schools and like Flying Stars is another school that exists. And they, my understanding is 
because I don't really study them, but um, that every year the stars shift. We use the same stars in a different way, but the stars shift, but they also shift as they are overlaid on your home. So, so your affinity towards different areas of your home will shift every year. So some schools, actually, you do have to have a tune-up every year mm. because you're basically like this, these are like all represent like numeric stars or positions and they, it will rotate or like actually they go in a weird direction, but they rotate, they go in a weird pattern and will be, you know, it'll change based on um, the year. So, you know, different schools of feng shui do things differently. Wow. This is, I'm getting this like profound kind of feeling sensation as we're talking about this, that this is like really like the liminal space between like self and other. Like I know that that breaks down, but like this is like, it's like the dividing line of how they influence each other. And it, it's just like feeling that is just really interesting and in hearing the way that you, you go through this. So really you're helping people navigate themselves, right? Yes. Like that's ultimately what this is. Yeah. It's, okay. And it's much, and it's also, um, sometimes it's, it's easier for some people to work with their, outside of themselves that's why that's why it made sense to me when my friend Tamsin was saying that initially they they always suggest to go to do the feng shui and astrology before you work on the body because it's so subtle and it's it's not invasive and so it's a lot easier for a lot of people to say okay I mean sometimes people are really resistant to moving things in their home but um and that's okay but um it's easier for someone to say okay I will recognize that I need to like maybe change the color of my bedding to support this we can make it really that's like kind of superficial but but to them that may be a big change that can create a huge shift and I think um, true compassion comes when you start to see like you said like there's not this um, this space that we create between other people and also we separate ourselves from our home or we separate ourselves from our environment or we separate ourselves from like our desk, but all these things really matter or the words that we put out, um, it affects everything else and they're very meaningful. Well, so something that I wanted to bring up to you, um, and this is something that I've like, I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, just I, I've lived with a lot of different people over the years. I used to live in a small co-op, five to eight people alternating, We're always good friends. But one of the rules that we had was like, pick up after yourself. Like we really don't want clutter. And we did a really good job for there being as many people, but I would go to other people's houses and clutter is just such an interesting thing because when I'm around it, it makes me feel claustrophobic. What What is the nature of clutter and the the like having something and then like not putting it away and just kind of setting it and doing just like that lack of like connection to the physical objects that you're interacting with. Like, is there anything in feng, feng shui that point, like what is clutter in this system? Um, good question. So one thing I want to say is that what, what you're talking about, like people not putting things away, there's a really great Zen saying, leave things as if you were never here in the first place. 
and that's something that I I really try to do a lot um, and it's something that's part of a lot of Asian cultures and a lot of Asian arts like I study um, Japanese tea ceremony and Japanese flower arranging ikebana so and part a great deal of the practice is actually preparing like for tea you spend more almost more time preparing the tea and cleaning up after the tea ceremony and putting everything back exactly the way it was put and everything is put away in a certain way for a certain reason that is almost more important or equally as important the actual tea ceremony so it's about leaving things as if we, you were never there in the first place. And so there's also this idea, I think, in the, our modern Western viewpoint that we want to instead leave a mark on everything. <laughs> so mm. we um, and there's like this whole idea of in, individualism to the point where you want to be so different and stand out and leave your mark. So there's this idea of like um, maybe that's part of it and with the clutter. But in general... The way that I describe clutter when it comes to feng shui is that when feng shui was developed, there was no such thing as clutter, right? We didn't have all the possibilities of accumulating useless objects that we do now. So that said, my viewpoint on clutter in general is that it is it can be problematic if you think it's problematic now there's extremes where people are you know hoarders okay that's everyone will agree hoarder, hoarding is is very damaging and unhealthy but you will not you, so many people will tell me oh my god you can't come over to my house because of covid no because i have so much they used to say like yeah. oh i don't want you to come over because i have so much yeah. clutter everywhere or yeah. Or people, I apologize for all the clutter. And I'm like, it's fine. There's nothing wrong. Yeah. So people can be very hypercritical of themselves. So I want to kind of preface all of this clutter talk with be careful in how you criticize yourself and judge yourself about it. Because having good feng shui does not equal being a minimalist. Mm -hmm. However, if that's something that you wants that's that's a really um i support that too because you know clutter is a problem when you have so many things that you cannot appreciate what you have and we have all sorts of clutter it's easy to accumulate things clutter as material objects but we can also clutter our inboxes or clutter our minds especially nowadays that like we've gone through this pandemic where everyone is on zoom people and people are on the internet downloading as much stuff as they can and people can clutter their minds with so much information but that doesn't create wisdom and it doesn't create experience so so if you find that clutter is keeping you from enjoying things then then it's a problem and clutter can be very sticky but I like to also tell the story of like um before the pandemic I went to Japan and I took a trip and I was there for like two weeks but I only had you know when you travel you only have a few things and I remember I had like two pairs of shoes 
had like one pair of like rain boots and one because it was February and then one pair of sneakers. I also had flip flops for the shower. <laughs> but, <laughs> three uh, pairs. Three pairs of shoes. shoes. But um but like when I only had two pairs of shoes, I took such great care of them. I like, you know, because I didn't have a lot to do. I made my schedule really open. So I would like clean my shoes every night. And it was actually so enjoyable to only have a few things that you really care about with you. Because then you just take care of them so well. And Chogun Trungpa has a great quote in, I think it's um, Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism, where he talks about like, he equates um, how we can go shopping for so many um, spiritual spiritual modalities or spiritual or just you know accumulating so many so much spiritualism, and um, he talks about how we used to have like a clean room with one beautiful thing that we found, and then we went out and found so many other beautiful things and brought them in, and suddenly that one thing that we had that radiated so much beauty no longer can radiate any beauty because the whole room is, you're just left with a junk shop is what he, he calls it like a junk shop. So, so that's how I look at clutter. Well, I'm actually going through that course with David right now. We're doing the eight week. So literally oh. right after this, I'm about to be hopping on with him and Larry Mermelstein and we're probably talking about that chapter. I just read it like last week. So that's cool. You brought that up. Oh yeah. yeah. It's, the, it's like the, one of the first chapters, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I think he calls it the antique shop. Yeah. But it also might be different texts. I don't know. No, you're, um, you're right. It's probably that. <laughs> okay. But I think he kind of meant it in like a similar way. Mm -hmm. um, so the last thing I wanted to bring up is, uh, and this is maybe just for us because not everybody on the show is introduced to this, um, but as you were talking about how clutter might be problematic for some people but not for others, it reminds me of the five wisdom energies as well. Mm. Um, and I think what I'm realizing when I feel like claustrophobic from clutter, I think it's, I, I, I do have like a Vajra tendency in me, mm -hmm. which is like very like neat and orderly. Everything has its place. And I remember hearing that like the Ratna thing is like, we're going to load up the entire wall with all the stuff we're going to cover every inch of every counter and um do you think that that's probably do, do you kind of infuse the five wisdom energies in your uh, approach um yes and no so different okay. so feng shui is rooted in Taoist Dao, uh, philosophy mm. so we use the five elements but they're different than the five elements in the five wisdom energies yeah even though there's a so the five wisdom energies are, um, so we have space, which is Buddha energy. You have um, Vajra, like you, you're a Vajra, which is water. The Ratna, which is earth. And then there's Padma, which is fire. And then um, wind. wind. Wind is karma. Yeah. yeah. So I'm very karma, actually. I'm karma, I think, with the Buddha exit. What's mm. your exit? You know? I think it's Padma, honestly. I know okay. I cycle between the two. I, I don't give it off a lot in the podcast, but as a massage therapist, I'm starting to see like, oh, I have a lot of Padma in me too. Ah. So um, so very similar, but a different system is the Taoist five elements, also known as the five phases. And you may have learned that through Qigong, but there's, so those are the similar there's still earth there's fire there's um water but in but instead in the five elements there's wood and metal 
and they're not exactly the same so they'll have different the five wisdom energies and the five elements have different um attributes so like without going into detail but when in feng shui yes we look at like certain like we can look at your elemental type and certain elemental types like ratna which is earth so earth element does have the tendency to accumulate more because it is like very nurturing maternal like the jewish mother like so yes earth element people tend to have can accumulate more clutter and actually feel better with more clutter we also say that fire people in the five elements i don't know if it's the same in the five the five wisdom energies but fire element people tend to be very heartfelt so objects hold a lot of nostalgia and um and feeling for them so like my husband has a lot of fire in the in the chinese system so he um tends to hold on to you know a few like things like that are really like more things that are like cards and things like that where i just recycle them um same yeah so it so yeah very good it it does absolutely connect and and i look at it more as instead of letting it pigeonhole you letting it um letting those systems allow for more compa- a more compassionate way to look at yourself and look at why you may have these things around you because i don't think anyone ever really wants no one will ever advocate for you to to dispose of something that you love and that's meaningful to you wonderful well angie that is the time that we have uh this has been a great talk i really enjoy this system i've yeah i came into this completely blind i was like i'm just gonna have you explain it to me like i'm five (laughs) and i think you did really good so where can people find you you said you're doing virtual uh consultations is that something that my listeners could be plugging into sure um they can find out more about me my website is holisticspaces.com with an h h o h wait h o l i s t i c spaces.com and i also um teach feng shui courses if you go to mindful design school dot com and that's probably the best and you can also follow me on instagram at angie cho yeah you also have a podcast right oh yeah <laughs> i also have a po- <laughs> oh, no there's too many ways to find me yeah, uh, ho- yeah the holistic spaces podcast and we talk about feng shui cool so hopefully some of the folks will continue on and maybe get a hold of you yeah so, awesome thank you so much i really appreciate you giving me some of your time i know you're really busy with all the home stuff so it really does mean a lot to me Thank you. It was so much fun. I really, I thank you for um, making my day a lot better. Oh, I'm glad. That's what I try to do. (laughs) Awesome. We'll see you next time. All right, my friends, that was the episode. Thank you so much for listening all the way till the end. As always, you know I make this show for you. You specifically are a trooper. I appreciate you very much. If you liked today's episode, head over to Apple Podcasts, give us a review, uh, subscribe over at YouTube, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, maybe check out the Patreon if you want to support you know the show and uh, make sure that this conversation can get out to as many people as possible in as consistent of a manner as we can manage 
Um, if you want to keep in touch with Angie Cho, head on over to AngieCho.com. She's got her blog, her podcast. She's got so many stuff. Links to her school are there. Um, it's also all down in the description below. If you didn't listen to this on YouTube, then I encourage you to maybe check out the YouTube stuff because now we got video. You can see my face. I can see your face. I see it right now through the window. I'm watching. I'm not doing that. But uh, yeah, head on over to YouTube. Give us a like. See what's going on over there. There's a lot of good stuff happening. I hope you've been well. Check us back in two weeks. I got Eel Gates coming on to the show. Great. Awesome. Have a good one.